0: Awesome. Well, good morning, River City. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to join you guys for worship this morning. Merry Christmas. Hopefully you guys all had a great time celebrating Christmas with your families. For us, I know yesterday was the first time uh, we actually spent the whole day just with our immediate family. First Christmas ever, we ended up doing that. And it was great. We went to a movie. Apparently the movies are open on Christmas, which was great. My kids and I had fun doing that. And and so we just really had a great time. Hopefully you guys did as well. I know my kids are excited about heading to grandparents in the next couple of days here for kind of second and third Christmases. So uh, Christmas spirit is alive and well still at the Pepin household, maybe it is in your household as well. So uh, excited as well to study God's word with you this morning. Last week, we wrapped up a series that we had been in throughout the whole fall, last three months or so, working our way through the book of Nehemiah. And we saw throughout the whole book of Nehemiah that the the book is all about showing about how God is a God who is sovereign and faithful to keep his promises. And and we saw throughout the book what happens is that that, uh, God is relentlessly faithful to to use this man named Nehemiah to bring about the fulfillment of promises that he's made to his people, to forgive them and to rescue them and to redeem them. But by the end of the book, which is the very end chronologically of the Old Testament, what we find is that, is that there's still one promise that God has not yet fulfilled. A promise he made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, and it's the promise of the Messiah, the one who would once and for all come to rescue and redeem and save his people. And and what we saw by the end of of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah sorely left us longing for God to keep that promise. By the end of the book, what we see is that is that in spite of all of Nehemiah's faithfulness, his sacrifices that he makes, of all he did to honor God and to call the people of God back to lives of worship and obedience unto him, what we saw by the end of the book is that he was not enough. He's not able to break the pattern of rebellion that follows rescue, that plagued God's people throughout the whole Old Testament. He leaves us longing for a better leader, a better rescuer, a better savior, not just a a temporary governor who can enact some meaningful and yet short-term changes. Instead, he leaves us longing for a forever king, one who can actually transform the people of God, who can actually change them, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And it's in the midst of that pregnant tension that the Gospel of Matthew picks up the story of God throughout the Bible after hundreds of years of silence from God by telling us about the birth of the one that Nehemiah and the rest of the Old Testament leave us longing for. And as we take a look at the familiar story again this morning, what I want to do is I, to I show you the, the true and better Nehemiah what I want to do is show you the, the Savior that God promised would come, the one who would ultimately rescue his people, the one to whom all of the leaders in the Old Testament point us to, the one that, to show you, the one that came to do what none of them could do. I can't wait to show him to you this morning. And so as we study, let's pray, and we'll dive into our passage in the Gospel of Matthew. God, we're so grateful this morning you to come and study your word together, and we're grateful that you would gather us this morning to remember after thousands of years that you indeed have come. God, that at Christmas you have kept the greatest promise of all to send the one that we needed to rescue us. And so God, as we look back this morning on that day, God, we pray that you would empower us by your spirit to rightly remember the reality of your coming. And to see it for the good news, it really is. God, we need you to shape our hearts and to renew the good news of the gospel to us this morning as we study. And so God, I don't have the power to do that, only you do. And when I ask God for our good and for your glory, that you would cause the news of your coming to be good news that transforms our hearts again this morning. So we pray all that in your name, amen. All right, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse eighteen. Familiar story for many of us. It begins this way. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but my wife uh, loves birth to- stories. She loves telling the stories about our kids when they were born. She loves hearing other people's birth stories. She wants all the details. She wants all the emotions. She wants the play-by-play. She wants all of all the details. I remember we after we had Emma, uh, friends would come over to meet her, and I'd be talking with the guys, and Hannah would be talking with the ladies, and about like one minute in, I've moved on to like the latest events in sports or whatever else is going on in the world, and... and And because the conversation usually went something like, hey, how did it go? Great. Got to the hospital, had the baby, everybody's healthy, things are going great, right? And as guys, you're like, yeah, it's about all the details that we needed. This is great, right? On the other side of the room, Hannah's like 30 minutes in and just getting to the part where we get to the hospital, and I'm like, did we have another child that I didn't remember? Like, like how many details are there in the story, right? Well, as you may have guessed, uh, Matthew's version of the Christmas birth story is from the Father's perspective this morning, right? Got like seven verses, short and sweet. We get to the point, right? Uh, Sorry for you ladies who really enjoy the longer version. Good news for you, the Gospel of Luke's got like 100 plus verses of details. You can enjoy that on your own time, right? Um, But just because Jesus' birth story here in Matthew is short in length, it doesn't mean that it's short on important details. Just like my version of this birth story, right? We went to the hospital, we had the kid, everybody's great. It included the important information, right? Matthew's as well includes some really important information. And the details that Matthew gives us in his story about Jesus's birth, they're all about highlighting three really important things about who Jesus is and about what he came to do I wanna show you those things this morning in our short time together as we study God's word. And the first thing I think that Matthew is trying to highlight is the divinity of Jesus, right? In no uncertain terms, Matthew makes clear that this baby that he is telling the birth story of, that this baby is God himself, Right? He tells us that in three different ways throughout the passage. First, in verse 18, he says that he's not just Jesus, but that he is Jesus, the Messiah. That word Messiah means the anointed one, It is in the anointed king. The Messiah was always directly connected with the divine rule and reign of God himself. So Matthew's beginning by telling us this is not just any baby. This is the long-awaited messianic king. God himself has come. Additionally, in verse 18, we read that Mary is found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, right? Matthew tells us that Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. The book of Matthew, in fact, it opens with the genealogy. And uh, we saw a couple of years ago, if you were with us, when we went through the Gospel of Matthew, that Matthew opens with the genealogy of Jesus. And what you see in each of the various sections of Jesus' genealogy in the first 17 verses of Matthew is that there's 14 sets of names, but, the, but when you get to the last section, there's only 13, right? Because God is the 14th father, right? And that's the point that Matthew was trying to make again. Now, people have always doubted the idea of the virgin birth or more accurately, the virgin conception, and that's nothing new, right? It wasn't any more plausible uh, back then than it was today, right? It's not like there was like some code in the midwife's handbook right back in ancient times where it's like, oh yeah, it's a 1420, right? We got a virgin birth, right? It just happens all the time. No, it did not happen back then either, right It was miraculous then, right just look at look at joseph's response, right He finds out Mary is pregnant and he knows it's not him and so you can tell by the fact that he's thinking about breaking off the engagement right that he's not buying the Immaculate Conception line right that's going on. It's not until the angel appears to him in a dream right He confirms Mary what Mary had told him what was true and he and what then he believes right and the reality is is that Uh, the virgin conception the virgin birth is miraculous and there's no way around that but the truth is that the bible is full of all kinds of miracles it's full of them and the god that created the universe is certainly capable of all kinds of things and if we're honest this is really not even the most impressive of the miracles is it there's a whole lot of stuff in the bible and so Matthew was highlighting the divinity of Jesus by telling us that he's the anointed Messiah and that his real father is God. And if that weren't clear enough, the angel tells Joseph that, that Jesus won't be this miraculous baby's only name, right? He'll be known as Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew claims that God has not simply sent a representation of himself, but that he has come in person to be with us. What a claim that is. Every other religion says that the founder was a great teacher. And they teach that how you live, and if if you live the way that you should, then you can get to God. But Christianity says that Jesus is not a guru. He's not a wise teacher. He's not just an important thinker. That Jesus is God himself. God with us. I mean, just, I know that's something we talk about often, but I want to just let that sink in for a moment. I've been talking with my kids this Advent season about about the, the wondrous reality that God Himself has come to be with us. You see, the reality that God has, the God of the universe, left His throne to step down into the mess of this world to enter into the heartache and brokenness and pain and sin. That he didn't leave us all on our own, but that he comes entering into the midst of it with us. There's a verse in one of my favorite Christmas hymns, O Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. The verse goes like this. It strikes me every time. he says, It says, come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glories know no end. By his life he brings us gladness our redeemer, shepherd, friend. The great king and creator of the universe did not stay far off, but made himself small and little, came into our world and into our reality. Let the weight of that sink into your hearts this morning. And so Matthew is emphasizing Jesus' divinity in the story of his birth, the reality that he indeed is God Come to be with us, Emmanuel. But he's not just pointing out Jesus' divinity, he's also highlighting the humanity of Jesus as well, right? One of the key details that Matthew emphasizes is that Jesus had a human mother and that he was physically born into this world. Now, he, he didn't just appear one day out of nowhere. He was born into the world. And I think I took that for granted until uh, we, my wife and I had our first child because the reality is, is, that, is, that, is that the birth of a child is only beautiful in a metaphorical sense, right? Um, no offense to any of you who had home births, but I am real glad that that mess was not at my house, right? Um, it's, not, it's not a beautiful thing in that sense, right? But what a humbling thing for the God of the universe, to be born into the world. To have to learn how to walk and talk. To have to learn how to be amidst the very creation that he made. Additionally, we see that Jesus' name was not special or unique in and of itself. Jesus or Yeshua in the Greek was Joshua in the Hebrew. And that name that Jesus is, it emphasizes in humanity. Lots of Jewish boys would have had that name, but none of them was called Jesus the Messiah. You see, Jesus is unique. He's not just God. He's not just man. He is the God-man. And it's so important that you see that. (coughs) You see, the reason why Matthew is emphasizing both the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus at the very outset of, it is, outset of his gospel, is because these two aspects of his nature are fundamentally critical to what Jesus came to do. They're at the very root of what he came to do. Verse 21, the angel tells Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, the angel tells Joseph not just that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, but but he tells him as well what he came to do, that Jesus is God become man in order that he might save his people from their sins. You see, the good news of great joy that the angels come singing that first Christmas night, that a Savior has come, it's only good news if you actually need a Savior. And the good news of Christmas is only good if there's bad news. And that the, the bad news is this, that the Savior that we needed, that we needed a Savior. You see, humanity needed a Savior to save us from our sin. What's clear by the end of the Old Testament is that God's people cannot save themselves. They cannot obey because sin is not merely an external behavior problem. It is an internal problem of the heart you see sin is not simply bad behavior or bad decisions if it was then just stop you don't need a savior for that just pull yourself together no but sin is a bigger problem you see sin is fundamentally a rejection of God it's a rejection of God's good kingly rule and authority in our lives it's a spiritual kind of mutiny and the reality is is that we all think that we know better that, that we want to be the, the ones who decide what is right and wrong, that we all want to be the ones who decide what is true and right and good and decide the ones that what really think really satisfies and brings life and joy, what we really think is best. And so we oust God as king and enthrone ourselves. You see, that's what we really need saving from. And sin leads to all kinds of behavior problems. But those are just symptoms of the greater issue that is our rebellion and rejection of God's good kingly leadership and rule in our lives. You see, I think the reality is that too often what we think we need saving from is our bad decisions or our current situations. The Israelites, as well, what they were looking for from the Messiah was one who would come and set them free from the bondage of Roman oppression and political freedom. But what they and we really needed freedom from is an enemy far more powerful than Rome. It's the very bondage of sin itself. And what Matthew is telling us here is not only that Jesus is the one who has come to save us from our sins, but that he is the only one that could. You see, Jesus is both God and man. You see, the reality is, is that we needed a savior who was both fully God and fully man we needed a human savior who could serve as our substitute as our representative and Jesus did he lived the life that we were supposed to live he faced all the things that you and I face and where we failed he succeeded and he died the death that you and I deserve to die and he took our place on the cross as our representative and the only way that he could do that if he was actually a human but we also needed a savior who was capable of paying the penalty for our sin. Because the reality is that our sin is not just an offense against one another, but it's an offense against an infinite God. You see, and so only an infinite savior like Jesus, who was fully God, could pay our infinite debt. One commentator sums it up this way. He writes, As fully God, Jesus was able to pay the eternal penalty for our sins, for which finite humanity could not atone. And as fully human, he could be our adequate representative and our substitutionary sacrifice. You see, the, the good news of Christmas that we celebrate is not just the birth of a baby, but is the coming of a Savior, the one who we all so desperately needed. And that God kept his promises that he made to Adam and Abraham, to Moses and to all the rest. And he did, not, he did it not by sending a representative, but by coming himself. It's the best news that the world had ever heard. And, and so God reveals all of this. To Joseph, a humble carpenter from a no-name, no-nothing town, and he responds in faith and obedience, right? And we cannot take that for granted, otherwise we'll miss the, the significance of Joseph's role in the story. You see, Mary's reputation had already been lost, but Joseph, he could have still saved his by divorcing her. And so when Joseph married her, it seemed like what he was confessing was that the baby would have actually been his. The angel didn't show up and explain the situation to everyone else, right? Nobody else got the memo about what the story really was. There was no email sent out, no public service announcement. (coughs) You see, going through with that marriage, it would have ruined both of their reputations. Furthermore, Joseph has the worst honeymoon of all time, right? Take a donkey trip to Bethlehem to stay in the luxurious barn accommodations, right? Not only that, you keep reading in Matthew, they get evicted from their whole town. They got to move to Egypt. Nobody wants to go there at Christmas time, right? You see, God was asking Joseph to believe the impossible and to risk everything on that reality, to risk it all. And what we see throughout the story is, In all the accounts, we never hear once about Joseph begrudgingly or unwillingly or even complaining about it. What we see is a man who responded to God in faith. And so the question is this morning, how do you respond to the revelation about who Jesus really is like Joseph does? How do you respond to that kind of a revelation by responding to the reality of the Savior come in faith and obedience, how do you do that? Well, the answer this morning, I think, is just simply this, that we must behold Jesus for who he really is. J.D. Greer, one pastor, I think so pointly writes, he says it this way, the call for us at Christmas is not to behave, but is instead to behold To behold the promised Son. See, what Matthew is claiming is that Jesus is God. The great King and Creator of the universe has made himself small, become a man, sent to save us from slavery to our own sin. That he's God himself. And that kind of a reality, it demands a response. Either reject it and live your life however you want or receive it and give your life wholly in worship to the God who has come to rescue you. The only response that doesn't make any sense at all is, to, is a lukewarm religiosity that says Jesus is God come to save us, but it doesn't really matter. Either reject him and live as you see fit or receive him. And worship him humbly, giving him all you are and all you have. You see, Joseph beheld Jesus, seeing him as God himself. Jesus was God, Jesus as man, Jesus was God with us. And on believing that truth, it changed everything about Joseph's life. You see, the gospel is not good advice, the gospel is good news. Tim Keller, I think so helpfully, who he writes it this way. He says, advice is counsel about what you must do. But news is a report about what's already been done. Advice urges you to make something happen. News urges you to respond to something that has already been done. Advice means it's up to you. But news means something has already been done. See, church, the message of Christmas is not just merely to behave. But it is instead to behold, to behold the one who has come, the Savior, God himself, Emmanuel, with us. You see, and the reality is that when God opens your eyes to the beauty of his good news, the only way you can respond is by giving all of yourself back to him. Because what you see is that he has given all of himself to you already. You see, that's what we're remembering and celebrating every week when we take communion. The bread and the juice, they're reminders for us. They're reminders about Jesus' body and blood which were broken and shed for us as he, God, Emmanuel, came to live the life that we could not live and pay the penalty for the death you and I deserved. And communion, it doesn't make us right with God and it doesn't save us and it doesn't change your status or your standing with God. Instead, what it is is a chance for us to remember, to remind ourselves, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, left his throne, enter into our mess to receive the penalty our sin so justly deserved that we might be forgiven, redeemed, rescued adopted into his family and as we remember the gospel together as we take communion it's a chance for us to again remind ourselves about what motivates us to live for him the king came for us when we did not deserve him and he comes in love Emmanuel got with us And so as we sing and worship and remember the gospel together in song, if you have put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior, then whenever you're ready, go back and take communion. There's uh, tables on the left and on the right and the back, and you can dip the bread in the juice, or you can take one of the communion packs back to your seat, whatever you feel comfortable doing. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus. But if not yet, if you're here this morning, and you're still figuring out who Jesus is and whether or not you want to trust or surrender to him as king, then I I just want you to know how welcome you are in this community and in our church. But I want to encourage you, hold off on taking communion. God's not after going through the motions. He's not after religious rituals. He's after a heart that trusts him, a heart that hopes in him and relies on him to be the one thing that can save you. And so wherever you're at this morning, I want to encourage you, talk with God. Maybe you're here this morning for the first time and you're realizing maybe for the first time that what you need savings from is not bad behavior or bad decisions or current situations, but what you need saving from is sin itself. And what you're seeing for the first time is that Jesus came to be the Savior you so desperately needed. And I want to encourage you this morning to receive his gift of salvation by trusting him and receiving him. You see, true life is only found in one place. It's found in worshiping at the feet of a God who came as a baby. I want to encourage you. What is keeping you from responding in faith and obedience to Jesus this morning? Maybe like Joseph, you feel like the cost is high. There's all kinds of things you feel like you might have to give up in order to follow him. I want to encourage you this morning. Whatever the cost, following Jesus is always worth it. I want to encourage you, let this Christmas be the first one that you actually celebrate his gift of life made known to you. That Jesus is God himself, Emmanuel, come to save. But maybe you are here this morning, some of you, and Christmas is just old news. It's old information that keeps coming up again year after year. And the good news of great joy that those angels came singing seems like old information. And if that's the reality this morning, I want to encourage you to ask God to remind you how much you needed a savior, how much you needed saving to come. Ask him indeed to come to rescue and renew. Ask him to show you how much you needed a savior to come so that the good news might be good again to you this morning. This Christmas season, a carol that's really been sticking out to me in my heart is uh, one I've been talking about with my kids a lot. It's, it's simply the, the old carol, Little Town of Bethlehem. And I, there's a, a chorus in the midst of those lines. One of them goes this way. It closes, and, and it, the closing of, the, of this verse has been my prayer for my kids, and it's my prayer for you as well this morning. It simply goes this way. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us this day. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful this morning to come together and remember you, our Savior. God, and we rejoice in the fact that you did not stay in heaven but you left your throne to enter in with us to the mess of our sin and rebellion god all of us each and every one of us needed you to come as a savior and what we remember at christmas is the savior we needed has come and so god would you empower us by your spirit to respond in faith and obedience as joseph did trusting that you god are the one who can save us from our sin. Give us new hope and new life in you. Cause us to remember again the joy of our salvation so that we might be a people who love and live for you. We pray, amen.